Welcome to Progress and Work. I'm your host, Patrick Figures, and this week we're continuing our discussion on motivation. When you think about your role as a leader or as a manager, what do you think of? Like if you were to compare the job of management to a different kind of job, what would you compare it to? What other job is like your role as a manager or as a leader? When I was researching um, the most recent blog that I wrote, I read a lot about the early 20th century management theorists, and I think they would describe management a lot like being a mechanic and working on an engine. And each employee that you supervise is like a piece or component of that engine. Every employee has a core function. They That employee needs to perform that function with a high level of specificity. And if every piece of that engine, if every employee performs their function as intended, according to the mechanic specifications, that engine can run beautifully. And the goal is to get that engine to run at 100% efficiency. And if the engine is running below 100% efficiency, it's because one of those pieces, one of those employees, is not properly tuned, a lack of training, a lack of incentive, a lack of accountability. I really enjoyed reading about these early contributors to management theory because we owe a, we owe a great deal of our current philosophies on management from these industrialists, people like Alfred Sloan, Henry Ford, management thinkers like James McKenzie. But most of their thinking, most of this concept of management as a uh, as a mechanic and the the company as an engine naturally revolves around what most businesses looked like in the early 20th century. It was factory work. And a lot of this early management theory was around maximizing production within an assembly line. Very different from how management looks for most of us today. The best example that I can think of uh, of this early uh, management theory thinking comes from uh, a guy by the name of Frederick Taylor, noted for what's called the scientific management theory. And much of Taylor's work, often described as Taylorism, boils down to four key elements, so four tenets of Taylorism. So number one, each job or task has one best way to be performed. Number two, you need to hire the right workers for each specific job and train them for maximum efficiency. Number three, you need to monitor employee performance and provide feedback or instruction related to any deviations. And lastly, number four, managers should focus on planning and training while workers focus on execution. So all four of these make up what you might call Taylorism. And it's worth noting that Frederick Taylor's theories which were popularized in the 1910s, and, and he lived and really came of prominence in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Well, these theories were already largely obsolete by the 1930s, but we see elements of Taylorism and these principles of management even today, because Taylor's work points back to a key question we as managers still have to grapple with. Can you trust your employees with being minimally supervised? Can your employees manage themselves and hold responsibility themselves? 
because Taylor was highly skeptical of the ability of workers and individual employees to be autonomous or independent because he assumed and he wrote that without the right motivation, punishment, reward, that employees would slack off and that you would get an inefficient engine, that the only way to get maximum efficiency in an organization was through direct motivation, extrinsic motivation of employees, that employees had to be pushed or um, cajoled into their best form of production. Taylor would say that great employees aren't born, they're created from great managers who apply necessary pressure and incentives to get the best work out of them. And for me, I've got two core issues with this philosophy of management. And I think everyone, every leader needs to be aware of these two things. Taylorism assumes that we can be perfect judges of what will motivate employees. And I think that is fundamentally flawed. A core assumption in general of extrinsic theories of motivation is that you will somehow be clairvoyant on how every employee will need to be motivated. One tool does not work perfectly for 10 unique employees. Even a tool as ubiquitous as compensation will not work across a broad range of employees. People are complicated. People want different things. Some people don't want anything other than the joy of having done a, a great work. You cannot perfectly motivate people through external forces. It's impossible. Secondly, another thing that these um, older theories of management miss and overlook is how much management would change in the next century. Much of this early 21st century management is built around the assembly line. And it assumes that employees are doing mostly manual, mostly repetitive work that is easy to micromanage and easy to train. And in today's knowledge worker economy, employees fill sometimes a blurred line in terms of their role. They're not necessarily doing one core role. They're helping with various other things and they're expected to have a dynamic range of skills and training them and reinforcing their performance is not as linear and binary as it was a century ago, for most of us at least. Now it may not seem particularly profound to bring up a hundred year old management theory just to tear it down, but I don't think this is really about the hundred year old theories of Frederick Taylor. I think this is about how much Taylor's ideas carry over and seep into how we think about managing employees and how we think about ourselves as leaders. Because it's easy to think about our employees as working against us. And it's easy for us to think of them as inherently lazy and that they, they can't or won't perform up to our standards without us leaning against them. And I think that's a reductive way, a short-sighted way to think about our role as leaders. I mentioned this in the blog from last week that sustainable motivational approaches are inherently intrinsic. And my idea for the blog came from what actually motivates me and what I think motivates you. 
we aren't sustainably motivated by external factors. We aren't sustainably motivated by reward and punishment. We're sustainably motivated. We're sustainably given momentum through ourselves, through internal, intrinsic sources of motivation. And so as leaders in an organization, instead of thinking of our employees as parts of an engine, if we think of them as individual contributors that just need help unlocking their own internal motivation to do their best work, it changes how we think about approaching crucial conversations. It changes how we frame up the vision of the organization and why their role matters. Every conversation with those employees changes. If we change how we think about what our role is as managers, it's scary to give employees freedom. It's scary to give employees responsibility because we don't want their failures to reflect on us. We don't want them to fail. It's so much easier mentally, emotionally to feel like we're, we can control their every action, but it's not sustainable, especially those of us that manage knowledge workers who have to work autonomously and independently. You won't get great high-performing employees if you micromanage them and if you try to use extrinsic motivational theories to motivate them. You need and want your employees to take freedom. The challenge for you to figure out is how do you build the kind of culture that creates aspirationally motivated employees, employees that want to be great, that set a high bar for themselves. But if you can figure that out, you've unlocked something really special because that's the sort of team that can be great independent of your presence. You can take a day off. You can take a vacation because you know that your employees are going to show up wanting to do a great job with or without you. Peter Kastenbaum, the business philosopher that I've mentioned before, has a, a wonderful quote. Uh, he has a ton of wonderful quotes from uh, his article, Do You Have the Will to Lead from um, Fast Company? Uh, it's from back in the early 2000s. And, and there's a, a, a line from this, um, from this larger piece that I'll just read out. The leader's role is less to heal or to help than to enlarge the capacity for responsible freedom. To enlarge the capacity for responsible freedom. Create the kind of culture that reinforces the freedom of your employees. Create a culture that incentivizes and encourages your employees to be high achievers, not because you're forcing them to, but because your employees themselves want to be great, because they are intrinsically motivated through their own horsepower to be excellent. You want them to freely make that choice. And that's the great burden and the great gift of our path as leaders is to be challenged with inspiring others to be great. So instead of thinking of yourself as the early management theorists thought of themselves and their peers as mechanics, Instead, think of yourself as the conductor in an orchestra, standing at the front and bringing out the best of 
everyone that's in that orchestra playing an instrument. You, you can't and shouldn't play those instruments for them. You should instead keep an eye on the big picture and try to bring out the best synergy between all of the instruments that are out there while you do what only you can do, which is bring them together and build something that is made greater than the sum of all of these individual parts. And sometimes do they play a note a little louder than you might like? Yes. Sometimes do they make occasional mistakes? Yes. But there's a subjectivity to running an orchestra that I think parallels quite nicely to what we do in leadership and management in the 21st century that I don't think fits with this notion of being a mechanic and working on an engine where there's no subjectivity and there's this binary perspective on what success looks like. That feels like a false way to think about what we are trying to do. Produce music through your leadership. When you're struggling with hard leadership questions, think about how you want to be defined through your actions and think about what your actions as a leader say about your philosophy. Are you acting like a mechanic or a conductor? Are you encouraging your employees to make their own choices while inspiring them to be great? Or are you bullying them into doing what you think is right because you said so? Be the sort of leader that you would want to work for. And that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed the episode because I certainly enjoyed putting it together. If you have any questions or just want to talk, you can hit me up at patrick at patrickfigures.com. Thanks for checking the podcast out and giving us a listen. This is still relatively new and still messing around with the format, but the goal is to put out some content every single week for you. So if you wouldn't mind subscribing and sharing this with someone that you think might benefit, I'd certainly appreciate it. All right. See you next time.